I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that many Batman podcasts. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I am a podcast. Whoa! Hey! with fans and people, people who Hey guys, welcome to Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host Justin Michael and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, Judge Wigs. Deck out your hair in old-timey flair. Perfect for last-minute trials, costume parties, and whatever weird roleplay you're into. Judge Wigs! I've got a jam-packed ep for you guys today featuring Batman casting and voiceover director Andrea Romano, series director Dan Reba, and Batman the Animated Series fan and comedian Mike Carlson, not to mention my voice, which is raspy because I blew it out shouting in the middle of a Food for Less for a comedy bit last night at a UCB show. So, you can thank that for that. Let's do it! Today's episode, Trial. Gotham's deadliest rogues kidnap the Dark Knight and put him on trial in Arkham Asylum. And the only thing standing between death by Joker, Two-Face, Mad Hatter, Ventriloquist, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, Scarecrow, Killer Croc, and the Riddler is the kidnapped Batman-hating district attorney Janet Van Dorn. Original air date, May 16th, 1994. Story by Paul Dini and Bruce Timm with a teleplay by Paul Dini. Directed by Dan Reba. Music by Harvey R. Cohen. Animation by Dong Yang. Featuring Mark Hamill as the Joker, Stephanie Zimbalist, a.k.a. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., a.k.a. Alfred's daughter, as Janet Van Dorn, George Zunza as Scarface, Aaron Kincaid as Killer Croc, Roddy McDowell as the Mad Hatter, Richard Maul as Two-Face, Diane Pershing as Poison Ivy, and Arlene Sorkin as Harley Quinn. It's a rogue potpourri. A rogue potpourri. I'll just move on. This episode is nothing but pure fun, and that is coming from a man who is fully aware that the bulk of this episode is a trial. Originally slated to be a direct-to-video movie, it was replaced by Mask of the Phantasm and got slotted to a single episode that could have easily been a two-parter. But while it feels a bit rushed, it still manages to stand out as a great episode, if not solely for the spectacle of how much is going on. At its heart, Trial poses the age-old question, is Batman responsible for the costume criminals he fights? Does dressing up like a bat incite others to step up their psychopathic game? Are nine villains truly better than one? When they're handled by Paul Dini, the answer is yes. What could have been one big sloppy mess with broad characterizations actually spotlights each of the villains and touches on some of their backstories without slowing down the actual story at hand. Plus... Guys, let's be honest, it's just fun to see a bunch of supervillains team up. Janet Van Dorn is a nice foil, and it's kind of a shame we never see her again, because they go through a lot of trouble to establish her, but I guess she is kind of just a mouthpiece for the 
theme of the episode. Still, I liked her. The animation is generally solid, and the fights, while again are a bit rushed, still maintain a lot of fun in how they're staged. I want a Judge Joker figure pronto. Do you hear me, DC Collectibles? Okay, well, let's move into... Today's fan... Mike Carlson. Mike is a comedian and buddy I met through UCB originally, and now we're just friends. You can see him at Tournament of Nerds live or see and hear him on Screen Junkies Movie Fights. Hashtag Botanicus. If you don't get that, then don't worry about it. He's one of the most passionate comic book and nerdy culture buddies I know, and this interview has been a long time coming. You can check out his stuff at Fat Carlson, P-H-A-T-C-A-R-L-S-O-N on Twitter. And otherwise, let's get to it. I'm sitting down with Mike Carlson. We're about to see the next Marvel movie together. Yes. So excited. First, we're talking about Batman the Animated Series. Yes, so excited about this too. What you're you're like one of the most comic book loving human beings. <laughs> one of the biggest I know. losers in the round. Yeah, I didn't want to say the yeah, biggest yeah, yeah. losers around. Uh-huh. You're somebody who genuinely loves comics yes. and cartoons and All everything in that world. I'm wearing a Star Fox t-shirt. Uh, so I'm wearing yeah. a Venture Brothers t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're really living up to the parody of ourselves. Here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I love all this Batman animated series. Was I was just obsessed with it as a kid. Because, like, I liked... Batman is that character that works in almost every way in different versions because I loved Adam West. I love the Michael Keaton stuff. And then I was like, oh, here's another delicious version for me to feast on. Um, and, yeah. What just, was your exposure to Batman before the animated series? Uh, it was The first thing was the Adam West series, which I just was obsessed with. I loved it. I didn't think it was... Fun, like I didn't think it was funny. I just thought it was cool. Like uh, there was just a lot of colors, and there was a lot. Like I thought the fighting was awesome. I would tell my mom how much I liked the fighting. That was my favorite part. It was the best. Yeah, and the fighting, of course. Now that you look at it, it's just they tilt the camera a little bit, and just a bunch of like maybe drunk forty-year-olds kind of roll, roll around <laughs> on like a soundstage, like the Warner Brothers soundstage. The same redecorated soundstage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You can tell it's all the same thing, and then just the the big uh, graphics with the pow and wham and stuff and it's still like it's got a fun energy to it but it's so sloppy and it's just fun but it does have like you can see why a kid would like that Um, but I was obsessed with that and then I don't know when I saw the Keaton Batman first because I don't I didn't see it in the theater I think my mom deemed it too scary for me because I remember seeing I remember being in a mall and seeing in through a window like the Jack Nicholson transformation Joker sort of scene and I just remember being freaked out. I mean, like, it's pretty was, horrifying. Yeah. So I think I probably saw them around the same time. Probably saw the movie and the animated series around the same time. Um, but I was just like, wow. And, and this is X-Men. X-Men kind of coincided the cartoons. Because like, it was starting of the, the new renaissance of comic book uh, TV cartoons. Yeah, so there was like, a ton of 90s animated series just based on comic book yes. stuff. Yes. And what what year did it come out? When is the, is it ninety? Animated series ninety two. Yeah, ninety two, right? I think okay. X Men came a little say. earlier. I think X Men was like ninety one. Same year, okay. So or, like a or a little earlier. Uh, so I was like right. I was perfect. Seven eight years old, obviously. You yeah, that was the well. prime time. Or you're a little younger, but yeah. I was a little younger, but I feel but like still we were in that range. Yeah 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 yeah. Uh, so 
Yeah, we watched it. And, like, it was one thing where, like, my mom liked it. I mean, she doesn't know any, like, she hasn't seen it in years and years, but she, like, recognized that, like, it was, like, of a certain quality as opposed. My mom lo- my mom loves Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Really? We saw it in the theater, and I think she really loved the love story in it. <laughs> I'm just remembering this now. Alan Burnett really uh-huh. championed that love story, so it really hit with the core audience, which is moms of kids who like Batman. Yes, it really. I remember her really liking that, and I remember her thinking that was a good, because she wanted something for the moms, and she got it in that movie with, uh, what's her name? Andrea. 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 <laughs> That's such a good dramatic name to say. Uh, this is a side note. In Star Trek Generations, Captain Kirk's lost uh, lady love is Antonia, which is another name where he goes, Antonia. That's and a very dumb name for some reason uh, to have to utter. It is, but it's also but it has enough like syllables in it, and you can say it like uh, like. So anyway, that's a side note. It's <laughs> yeah. Another thing I like. Another like romantic. Uh, subplot with a long lost love. Mask of the Phantasm, better than Generations. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> I guess anything's better than Generations. Uh, well, not 9 and 10. I think 7 is better than 9 and 10. But what about 7 of 9? Well, 7 of 9 is great. She uh, Star Trek jokes. <laughs> yeah. Is that. Have you talked about Seven of Nine on this podcast? This is the yet? first time Seven of Nine okay. has come up. Uh, the sexy Borg. She was definitely brought in to boost the ratings. Was she on Voyager or yes. on? Okay, so oh, and I think what's her name? Who who played Janeway? Uh, uh, why can't I think of her? She was. She also cut plays, this out. Kate Mulgrew is her name. Kate Mulgrew, uh, who also plays Red Claw in Batman yes. the animated series, was really upset, probably justifiably so, that there were like not enough sexy women, too many powerful women on this show. But I think Mulgrew mm-hmm. hated. The Seven of Nine was introduced as a main character. Like, she was the sexy Urkel to I think <laughs> the I, Family Matters of Voyager. To be fair to um, Jerry Ryan, who played Seven of Nine, I think that she got a lot of flack early on from a lot of people for that. But they, like, did do some, like, they turned, like, she was a character. She wasn't just, like, hanging out in, like, a bathing suit. So, like, she wasn't, like, they did some interesting things. Like, that is a good... She had an arc of like becoming human again, and oh, she did great stuff. It but was I think every TV guy at yes, the time was yes, like yes, a yes, tightly yes. fit, uh-huh. and she was wearing that on the show. And like certainly, uh, her looks didn't hurt. Side note: you may want to cut this out. I don't know if this is relevant. She was married to uh, a guy named Jack Ryan, who ran, who was going to run against Barack Obama for Senate in Illinois. And a big scandal broke out right before that because they were getting divorced, and that like Jack had like made. I don't know, look this up. Cut this out probably because it's too weird. But Jack... Oh, it's, it's staying in. Okay, good. Like, like, look it up. Like, there was just some weird stuff going on. They, like, Jack had, like, forced her to do things. Like, she alleged certain, like, uh, bizarre sexual things. How weird. Um, at the time. And it sunk his whole candidacy. And then a guy named Alan Keyes, who's crazy, ran against Barack Obama. And it was just a slam dunk then that Obama was going to win the Senate. And I was in college at the time. And uh, we were very, obviously, pro-Obama. Pro-Bama? Pro-Bama, yeah, yeah, we called it that too. Um, but uh, that's an interesting side note, is that uh, that she's loosely affiliated with the Obama Senate campaign. Well, like we start every Batman podcast, mm-hmm. uh, we talk about Obama's Senate campaign mm-hmm. just a little bit, and then we dive into the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I watched I watched iRobot in the same movie row as Jack Ryan and Mancow. The old DJ Mancow, if anybody knows who that is. He's still around. I do not. <laughs> yeah. All right. So enough about my nonsense. Well, you can hear it on Jack Ryan, the podcast. Don't have a joke. <laughs> just the name. Uh-huh. 
so you picked Trial. Yes. A while ago. You've Yeah, it was a while, right? I mean, I sent out like an email blast. This is the thing that I've said too many times and it's really not interesting. But mm-hmm. basically the episode you were like, oh, you know, I like all these, but Trial is one that stood out, which mm-hmm. is great. I've saved it for you. Thank there you. There have been other requests for Trial and I said no. I appreciate that. Uh, it's a good one. It is a good one. It's, it is... Uh, well, the first thing I'll say is that for a kid, and finally movies are catching up, we're going to see Civil War tonight, and they've figured out that it's exciting when the, all of the villains or are, are good guys are together. And yes. that's, as a kid, that is so exciting when they're all in one episode, which is the, probably the first thing of why it sparked, like when I was going through the episodes, I went, oh, I want to do this one, because this is one I was super excited about as a kid. Um, I wasn't probably like the moral, the morality play of it. I probably didn't care about it. I was like, but all the villains are together. That's like, exactly that's why I loved it. I, I, what do you think it is about that team up idea that's so cool to kids or adults? Because I still love it. Like it's, I actually yeah. think I like more villainy team ups than superhero team ups. Yes. Well, especially for when you got a good, like Batman, of course, obviously has the best rogues gallery in comics. So like that, especially like team ups are super fun because like I like his I like the heroes. I like Nightwing and everybody, but the villains are great. So that's even more fun because like I think with especially like the Avengers, it's like the heroes are probably better. And I mean, there's some great Avengers villains, but they don't have the roster that Batman's got. Um, But it's I don't know exactly. I I would love it when the Muppets would get together mm-hmm. with the Christmas special. Christmas. Yeah, that they yeah. never did something like that again where Sesame Street and Muppets all got together. Like I was obsessed with that. I don't think, right? Like there was never another Nothing that was that not that like grand a scale. I right. it was Fraggles too. And Fraggles too, right. And they were all in there together. I would love it anytime the Disney characters were all together. Do you ever see you must have seen Cartoon All Stars to the Rescue? Of course. Have we talked yes. about this. We, okay. I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but I was obsessed with it. They would show it in in class too when I was in elementary school for those of you that don't know what it is it's a (laughs) it's a McDonald's sponsored and also I believe the White House somehow was involved like as Barbara Bush and George Bush Sr. right uh, introduce it with their dog Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's an anti-drug PSA that's 30 minutes long and a crossover of like all these 80s 90s cartoons including Slimer from Ghostbusters Mm -hmm. Alf Garfield and they cartoon (laughs) Bugs Bunny Wind yes, Boone, and Michelangelo. Michelangelo. Michelangelo shows up at the end, and in that the was my and... favorite part. Yes, because it's a, like they save him for the end. Oh, the Muppet were... Babies. Yes, yes, yes. The Muppet uh, Babies are in it. Garfield. Did we say Garfield? Yeah, you he, said is, it already. he starts I'm sorry. as a lamp, and they yes, get their yeah. one Alf, you know, uh-huh. cat joke in there in the beginning. Yes, that's great. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't. I think it probably does have something to do with like you've seen them all in separate things, and you grow to love them. And then putting them all together just feels fun and exciting, I yeah. guess. I mean, it's got to be something simple like that. Because, like, that's that's the genius of, like, people credit Stanley with it. Maybe, it, I don't I'm, I'm sure there was some crossover in DC before, but maybe not. People credit Stanley really with the universe of, like, building the universe. And that's what comics, that's something about comics that I think was just so exciting was, like, then this was over here, and it's such a brilliant money thing. It's just to suck money out of kids. It's crazy it took this long for movies to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, they to, to fully, yeah, to fully commit to it. Because, like, there were versions of it, but I think it was, like, sort of goofed on. Because, like, they have done King Kong, Godzilla, and, like, Abbott and Costello met Frankenstein. Which so, I loved, probably, sure, for that reason. Sure. Because it was, like, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, and I think the Invisible Man, maybe Dracula, like, all in the same movie. Yes. I, I have actually never seen it, but... Um, yeah, I think that they like 
they would do stuff like that here and there, but I don't think anyone ever took it seriously and to, enough to like, yeah, to apply that comics model of like, why don't we just build a universe and then everybody cross over and it's fun and because it feels alive. I think that's what it feels. It feels more alive in a way. Like you feel like you really can live in it. I don't know. I'm and they did such a good here. job with the villains that you cared about each one of them. Or if you didn't, they yeah. still were cool. Uh, yeah. They had like cool gimmicks. So seeing them all together, and at least in this episode, I guess diving into it, like the way that they play off each other, suggesting their history, or kind of touching on their first episodes or something, right. was kind of a cool element yeah. that I didn't expect. Yeah, and it's 22 minutes, and they, it's all economy. I was going to say Flintstones Jetsons as well. Yes. Incredible. Oh, God. I love that. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I guess I just liked crossovers. Yeah, it's fun. It's super fun. And, like, yeah, movies, I don't know why. I think we're going to get a bunch of crappy ones now, which is what's going to happen, but who, whatever. Um, but, yeah, like, they're – because, like, 21 minutes, 22 minutes, these episodes, and they have so much to get through, but they do manage to give everybody a little piece, a little moment of, like, you see their personality, and either it's, like, funny or – not scary, scary, but like, you know, menacing or two faces. Doing like, his thing. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I mean, also, it's it's a Paul Dini episode, or at least mm-hmm. like Bruce Tim and Paul Dini developed the story together. So I don't know. I mean, maybe you know the story behind this episode. Uh, I, I don't. So this was originally going to be Mask of the Phantasm. So, like, before yes. Phantasm, not the story, but right, they were right. like, if we're going to do a direct to video movie, we're going to make this. And then Alan Burnett, who was the story editor at the time, was like, or for the whole show, was like, no, I don't like that. I think we need something. I want to do a love story, and I want to make it more... We want Mike's mom to be engaged. We want Mike's mom to be engaged. She's the, Again, the core audience is Mike Carlson's mom. That's right. What's her name? Marcy. Marcy Carlson. Mm-hmm. Marlson, yeah. uh, as Alan Burnett used to call her. Right, I know. I know that. <laughs> right. He would always call me like, hey, Marlson around? Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently he shot it down, and so they were like, well, we like this idea. This seems like a natural idea, just like a team-up. And I guess I actually have this book, Bruce Timm's, it's it's Modern Masters, and it's just like an interview with Bruce Timm. That's but he cool. talks about, yeah, they, they kind of thought about it like an homage, their version of the 60s Batman movie, which is another mm-hmm. team-up movie that I was like, yes! Of course, it's great. Uh, so the fact that it is crammed into 22 minutes is is. Cool, but also it feels like it needs to be it like feels, a two-parter at the very least. Yeah, so that's what I noticed doing it. Because like, there's so many times when Batman <laughs> Batman is just trying to move the plot along. Like, she's like, what are the... Like, they're like, we're going to have a court and we're going to do this. And we're going to have a whole, th- like, trial. And, and she's like, what? And Batman's like, we have to do this. It's their game. And she's like, well, what? And he's like, no, no. And they're like, wait a minute. Like, why didn't Batman maybe take a second and figure out if there's a way around this or whatever? There's so much that gets thrown in there. And... and- Dini does a pretty good job oh, yeah. moving forward, but it's still like, we introduce a new character, Janet Van Dorn. Yes. So she's introduced. We have to introduce the idea of how the inmates got in control of the asylum. Yes. Have a trial, have it end, have Batman kidnapped, yes. have all these villains it's, get their spotlight. It's an econ- like economy of storytelling. It's, it's such a good job of it. But yeah, you do feel like you could really, we could have really dug in here and gotten some really, like a long, like it could have been, obviously it could have been a movie, which is what they thought of it but yeah two-parter at least because like you want to spend more time with all the villains like that whole fight could have been a whole episode when when they the one where he batman's about to get killed yes yes like that whole thing could have just been a crazy sequence and they they but anyway they do a great i'm not trying to even insult it i'm just saying you can feel it now where like you really we have we could have stretched this out to 90 minutes. It's amazing how competently they pull it off. Oh, yeah, it's great. Oh, cool. This is great. I just want more of it because Yeah, it's that's all good. I'm really saying. Um, but, yeah, everything... 
Yeah, every because like, there's memorable. There's so much memorable stuff in it, and it's like they just pack it in there. Well, let's talk about how it starts. Yes. Uh, so it starts with uh, Poison Ivy, uh, I think, being put in jail. Right. Or in Arkham. Like, you know, it's right. like the court suggested that she be get, you know, life, t- life in prison. But since Batman was the one who apprehended her, not, you know, a member of whatever, the police. Right. They're going to put her in Arkham for rehabilitation, which is like already an economical way of setting up like Batman is kind of the reason. You can see why Janet Van Dorn is pissed. <laughs> right. Because they can't prosecute her. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> right, he's not a member of the police force. Uh, yeah. So they so they have to introduce Janet early on. Um and they they really hit everything so hard because they have to because of time. But like they hit it hard of like Batman's a menace. He created all these people, blah blah blah, and which is like a big. I think a lot of people have done that story, but also a lot of people have done the other story where like I think Gotham's doing the story where everyone's nuts, but Batman has to be created because of it, like the TV show Gotham. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but but they're really setting up hard to like kind of prove the point that. Batman created all these people. Right, this is the theme, the thesis of the episode. Right. Like, just exploring that idea. Which, like, you know, did Batman create all the villains, or did the villains create Batman? Which, I don't know <laughs> if we actually earned that the villains created Batman. We don't. She just decides We don't earn it. that. No, uh, that is, like, that's well, the no, one... he was doing it before these crazies showed up. <laughs> yes, yeah, they don't quite, they're just like, you got, she, uh, I guess we're skipping head, but like, the end of it, she's like, she's going, you're all crazy! He needs to be here. Like, that's sort of just the revelation she has, or the realization she has at the end. Right. It's like, if somebody who's anti-war then thrown in the trenches is like, you know what? War is necessary. Uh, Fuck you guys. I've personally had an Uh experience with it. Right. So Uh, I had the Mad Hatter drag me off. (laughs) Yeah, that is funny that she's just like, I I don't want to deal with you. It's really, she just doesn't want to deal with them. So she's like, yeah, all right, he's fine. He's cool. Because I think they could have reached that point. Again, we're at like a two-parter. I think we'd see her changes and like kind of right. discuss that kind of stuff. But there's not enough time to really dive into the thought process. It's kind of rushed along. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's sort of the Dark Knight, too, is like it's about escalation. Because really, like Batman becomes cre- uh, gets created in the first movie and then like Joker appears and he's a ver- crazier... Like, he's a villain version of Batman, but he's, like, even worse. So, like, it's... They've been playing around with this idea for a long time, and obviously there's no right answer because it's all made up. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. They do a good job, I guess, of balancing both sides. I mean, you kind of hear that argument in the second scene where it's, like, mm-hmm. Gordon and Janet Van Dorn are arguing, and Gordon's like, we need Batman. He's the best weapon we have. And she's right. like, no, he's he's a drug that uh-huh. we're addicted to because we can't face our problems. I mean, she's right. She's 100% She's right. 100% I don't think I was right about it. that she was wrong. That was the thing. Because, like, the real world implications of all of that, if we had a guy running around doing it, we'd all be like, that guy's nuts. But, I mean, I guess if he was as good as Batman was, then we'd go, oh, I guess. I guess we should let this maniac do this. Hang, hang a guy, the, the leader of the Skulls gang, the only time we've heard of the Skulls, yeah. who looks like the Punisher. He has yes. a big skull yes, on his chest. Yes, he has a big skull, yes. That felt like uh, their way of just like, yeah, this is our version of the Punisher. Yes. Not a version of it in terms of like, you but know, like this, this is, is Frank our Castle, vigilante. Like, yeah. We just get to show an image that looks like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but side note so Janet Van Dorn, voiced by the daughter of Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., the voice of Alfred. Really? Yeah. And I wow. guess she's an actor, uh, obviously, but mm-hmm. uh, kind of cool that it, you know, yeah. ran in the family. Sure. Come on, you nepotism. Yeah, you got to get your family family a job. That's a nice thing to do. Yeah, she had a fun meaty role. Yeah, it's a great role. Um, 
Did that character ever come back? I don't believe so. I don't so. think so, right? It was kind of, you know, she seems like an important character, but like, you know, again, if it were a movie, it feels like she would be yeah. fleshed out a little bit. Uh, it was kind of weird that they cut directly. It was like, well, you know, next time I see you, we'll be meeting under different terms. And it cuts to like Bruce Wayne, I think, on a date with her. Right. Which feels That's a like little a weird, weird, right? It's a power play. And <laughs> yeah. I feel like Batman, he does it a lot. He's like, oh, uh-huh. <laughs> Look, you like me. And yeah, you Batman using his seduction as a technique. It's yeah, it's that's fine. It's a weird. I did that struck me as a little weird too. Uh, will there be a Janet toy? Do you think? You know, I feel like it's not Eventually. out of the question. Uh-huh. I think it's pretty. It's probably a stretch. <laughs> I think we'll be getting like 500 Joker sure. variants before right, we right. get like we'll get Judge Joker and Priest Joker before we get Janet Van Dorn. Yeah. Uh, there's some Janet Van Dorn fans, I bet, that would want that. Yeah, Van Dorn. There's got to be you know? five to ten, five to ten people that were like, "I wish that with a figure." Uh, well, one day. I w- I, is there a custom? Does anybody make a custom Janet? I'm sure, there's Van Dorn? a custom Janet Van Dorn out there. Uh-huh. There's got to be at least one. We'll look it up later on eBay. Uh, so this, sell it. she's on a date. She has a beautifully monogrammed <laughs> glasses. Yeah, case. Right. Yeah, yeah. She takes off her glasses for the date. Right. Uh, and then that's the signifier that later when she's kidnapped, mm-hmm. that's what they left behind. Right. Because they have to make it obvious. Right. I mean, it is a kid's show after all. It's like, sure. hey, let's track this one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, simple. Cool. Of course, because it's a Deanie episode, the people who kidnap Batman are Harley and Ivy. Yes, right. He gets that wonderful kind of, you know, scrawled, whatever, cut out the ransom note that's like perfectly parodied. Ransom <laughs> right. font. <laughs> right. The magazine like cut out. Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. They they kidnap her. Um This all happens what in the first three minutes of the show? Oh yeah, and I've even like already went to Arkham and you kinda got right. an idea that the Mad Hatter was had already like taken over things. Mm-hmm. Like they were like, Okay, we gotta get all this exposition out right. so we can get to the trial, the most exciting thing for a kid to watch. Right, the trial. Yes, that's what we we all wanted to see the court uh, court uh, in session. I wonder if this had anything to do with the fact that like OJ was happening at the same time. Maybe it's just because People versus OJ Simpson just aired, and my brain is kind of Wasn't in this that before world. Before OJ, was it before? OJ? I think it was before. What what season is this? Three, three. So this so is like ninety five. Yeah. When's the is the trial ninety five? Yeah. No, I guess Rodney King riots were 92. Yeah. So maybe... I know that they made some Cochrane jokes later in, like, the new Batman Adventures. There's, like, this lawyer that's, like... Yeah. You know, does, like, if the glove don't fit or doesn't fit, whatever the phrase is, like, you must acquit. This maybe this is more like uh, when Bruce Springsteen released The Rising, but like it came out right before nine eleven, and it was a perfect... Like, it felt like a reaction to nine eleven, but it was just in the pipe. Um, but it's such a good album to like where you know anyone who's listened to The Rising knows it's such a good album that like makes you want to go like yeah we're gonna get back we up get a lot and of crossover between fans of The Rising and Batman yeah. the Animated Series sure I'm a big Springsteen uh, fan too um, but yeah I guess maybe it was, maybe like, it was just, just like teeing it up <laughs> like it was just in the air like all of a sudden everything all the court things collided at once <laughs> all the court pop culture things happened that's my guess, anyway. That's probably exactly what That's probably was. exactly what happened. It was zeitgeist is the word I, I was looking for. So we, what were the, Harley and Ivy, they stage a kind of kidnapping of Batman, which 
I think <laughs> Ivy, they moved the statue of, like, I think Lady Justice or something, some sort of, like, Yeah, and, and Bruce, or uh, Batman, tries to attack the statue. <laughs> that's right. a, that's, that's another clunked. moment in where you're like, they could have figured out a longer sequence to, like, but Batman's just like, oh, like, I'm going to get the statue. And, like, he... Poison Ivy is a very convincing statue for the first 30 seconds of that scene. Uh-huh. And she has this, like, really, like, what, whoever animated it or boarded it or however it got finished, like, looks very, like, evil <laughs> right, that right, moment. Right, right, right. Like, as he's, like, blur his blurred vision vision is coming too she just looks like devilish right like really evil yeah i remember that too that's yeah that's a whole that whole thing is that again it happens very very fast yeah all I mean, of it the fact that they were able to take him out uh <laughs> and there was an entire uh-huh. episode i guess they were able to take him out in harley and ivy too they yeah strap him to a bunch of you know appliances and try to sink him in some poison i mean you, you do that many episodes you got to take him out all the time, like '60s Batman, he gets kidnapped every episode, almost every episode, because there's the True. two parteries at the end of it. He's always he's got to be on a conveyor belt headed towards a yeah, fire pit, sometimes. or in a big hourglass, and the sand yeah. is coming down, a or sticker machine that yep. will turn, or stamps, <laughs> or he's in like an, a piano, uh, a factory, or like a music. I think it was a music, like a sheet music factory. Yes, when uh, Liberace, the great Chandel, kidnaps him, or no, no, his evil brother Frank kidnaps him. Chandel is good. Frank is evil. Liberace plays both roles. I want a Liberace figure so bad for these. I probably as a state doesn't want it. They probably didn't sign the likeness rights. But God, that's my most wanted figure is a big Liberace Batman villain. That'd figure. be a dream. Yep, that's what you want. Are all those cele- '60s celebrities? <laughs> I want Jaja Gabor as Miss Minerva and like an evil day spa playset. That was the episode <laughs> where she had an evil day spa. Oh God, I gotta rewatch. <laughs> I, I really didn't get through too many of the Blu-rays. Before I just fell off. It's like the greatest show of all time, I think. I mean, I think I really do. It's something about the color that just yeah, it's, makes it's, me happy. It's Yes, it is. It's like whatever. Is the day glow the word for it? I don't know. Whatever it is, it's just like it's fun. It just like reads as fun. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, speaking of fun, yeah. uh, what happens after this in the episode? We're going beat by beat. And if you have any notes that you brought up. I, I have mean, like four notes and they're stupid and... <laughs> They're really. You can't I just, hear to criticize your own notes in front of an audience. Yes, I, my own bad note. I've never been a good note taker. My it was just always pictures of Batman and Wolverine in my high school and junior high. What like, versions of Batman and Wolverine? Like, were were you aiming towards a certain kind? Because I definitely drew like animated Batman and Joker over and over and over in my notebooks. My my art style was influenced by this is a whole thing. Uh, two guys probably a guy named Chris Allen who drew the Ninja Turtles Archie comic. So I would just like sort of copy him for years and years, and then I was copying uh, Joe Matarera. I Who's believe that? that's how his last name is pronounced. He drew Uncanny X Men in like 1994, mm-hmm. 95, and the Scott Lobdell version of it, which is like a very like one of the most popular times in comics when like that was selling a million or two. These guys were making so much money, um, but he had a very like anime manga like style. Like it's like X Men three twenty five is like a big pull out cover of like them and then inside they're all playing baseball. But like he was a very he was like a lot of images of of the X Men at the time was was him uh, or like the Kuberts. But I so I like stole those two guys style basically. So I was sort of drawing Batman in that style. <laughs> I wasn't. I probably did. I'm sure there's sometimes when I was copying like the animated series because that was the prominent. Like I wasn't really reading Batman comics that much at that time. But I was sort of just like channeling their art style and trying to draw Batman uh, primarily, I think. Although I was reading like Robin and stuff at the time. 
I don't I think at that point I was just reading grab bag comics, whatever the cheap 99 cent bag of like whatever you could get was. Yeah. Uh, so I had like one issue of a death in the family, uh-huh. a rogue one shot. <laughs> right. You know, like weird combinations of you things that didn't the sell thread well. No, I mean, I never really, there was like a period in like maybe 1999, uh, like where I read Amazing Spider-Man or something. Uh, and then like, you know, I read the Batman Adventures comics, like all the comics associated with this show. Yeah. But otherwise it was really, and and Ultimate Comics, I think like, I read like all the Ultimate Spider-Man, X-Men and that kind of stuff. But otherwise. Mm. You're missing out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm catching up on things like in big chunks now. I didn't. I didn't really read Batman as much back then, for whatever reason. I mean, I've read now a lot of all the great Batman stuff and all of Grant Morrison's Batman, which is my favorite stuff. Um, but like back then, it was mostly just the X Men, and I was a Marvel boy, to say, <laughs> to put it in the cutest Whoa. way possible. Uh, <laughs> but I loved, uh, yeah, Marvel boy. Uh, but I did like read Impulse and Robin and. All this other Flash, Mark Waite's Flash. I remember I read. I was very young and it felt very adult. But Mark Waite's stuff is great. He's great. I mean, he's one. And then oh, and Grant's Justice League in 1996 is when I started reading that. Should I, I go would, back and read it? Oh my god, is it's it great? Great, It's greatest. See, that's what I'm happy that I have things I can revisit. Yeah, or not revisit, visit for the first time. I can't like believe I just you've never read. read that. No, I mean I, I really picked and wow. chose. So like it was, you know, I just as you know, I think I told you a little while ago. I read Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol like in one. Yes, yes. That huge book. That I DC haven't, read. and I haven't read that. It is great and insane. Oh yeah. Well, Justice League was his. Like he had been doing like Invisibles and Doom Patrol and weirder stuff, and then his Justice League is him trying to do like what the summer blockbuster version of a Justice League would be. So it's like not it's it's got weird ideas and interesting and cool stuff, but it's very much like you can imagine it being an awesome movie. And like it gets it gets weirder as it goes on, but especially with the first so many issues, you're like, this is great. And the the roster is huge by issue twenty or something. <laughs> like he's got Catwoman on the team and there's like fifteen or twenty members. Was this at the time when Catwoman had that like purple outfit? Yes. Like the Jim Ballant, I believe, is the guy who uh, like this I'm not being gross but like she had the j- largest breasts of any almost would topple over if she were it's real crazy more than any at, other exaggerated female in comic books yes <laughs> right and she had that purple outfit on and she, I think Jim Ballant was drawing her for years and I don't think I ever read the I comic I had an action figure of that Catwoman. I don't know like yeah. what the series was but I remember I was like yeah. <laughs> sure. I mean, that's... I'm a little pervert. That, we were all little perverts. I mean, that's so much of We were so born to be it. little perverts if we were being fed that shit. Yes, I remember this is... Uh, now we're really going in a horrible territory here. I remember the first... Because I love the X-Men cartoon so much. And the first comic I picked up, I remember I opened it up and Rogue was like just wearing like tiny shorts. And like she was like by the side of the road drinking some water. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and like I was like, okay... Now I'm reading these comics. This is awakening something in me that yeah. I didn't realize was ready to be awakened. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And like they were and it was just a bunch of like like weird pervert twenty something artists or probably older too, uh, that were just like drawn what they wished was happening. So this is like, great, but make the boobs bigger. Uh-huh. Yeah. Bigger again. <laughs> I'm sure that was happening. I'm sure like all of that. Can we show them naked? On. Remind me again. <laughs> I'm gl- I'm glad that there were comics. I would read like certain comics, like Witchblade, and like because that was just like oh, it's just a woman with her boobs out. Like that's yes. what the whole thing is. Uh, I am impressed though because I I read like two of issues and I was like, I 
can't. This isn't good. I don't want to read this. Right, more. it's not worth it just for yeah. you know the male gaze of it. Because like as much as the X the X Men like the ladies would on occasion be uh, you know not having many clothes on. Uh, they were they're all great characters, especially the X. Like they're all very like good and strong and like interesting characters. And God bless Chris Claremont for doing that. I guess for like really pumping up all the ladies as far as being interesting and having good stuff to do. And then also uh, making them all just like models. <laughs> I mean, there were there were swimsuit special oh, like fake, oh my. I tried to get. I was desperate to get my hands on these. I did, never did. There's a She-Hulk one. I remember, like they yes. had like all the people there, of. X-Men. To be fair to these these old swimsuit specials, there are a lot of like Captain America with his junk in a speedo. Like That's there true. is like there it does seem to be like equal opportunity for. I don't. I don't know the ex, the breakdown or the ratio of male to female. But I was like, I was looking at the, these like a couple months ago, <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, okay, because Captain America, it's like. It's just you can see his power, like his his nuts, like in these like little American flag speedo. Hey, as long as they're showcasing everybody's bits fairly uh, and right. across the board. I know that I know somebody tried to do it a couple of years ago. Marvel was like, no, we're not, <laughs> we're not doing this. Do you know how much flack we would get? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, though they shouldn't do it. My friend, when I was in third grade, <laughs> I had a friend named Brian uh, who told us that he had it. And they were they were naked in it. They were all naked, and that Stanley was signing. Stanley drew it. <laughs> he told the Stanley drew it because I remember the time going. Well, I don't remember. Did he see he draw? And like, oh, okay, maybe he did. And he's like, and he would sign like the butts or the breasts. Like he would write Stanley on them. So he wrote Stanley himself on. Yes, them? he would like sign them. He would sign his art in like the bad parts or the the <laughs> naughty areas. Uh, and we were like, wow. And that's like the same because kids would make lies up about everything. <laughs> oh yeah, and you would believe that stuff. Oh, I believe all of it. I, I mean, this is separate from that, uh, but it was the same kind of lie where you like Disney things. We've talked about this, but Pirates of the Caribbean. I was afraid of that ride for a while. The end of it, when there's a at Disneyland, there's a shootout. Yes, yes. And there, you know, sh- you know, a bunch of that's how it kind of ends. Is like there are these barrels that are being shot at on either side. And my friend Paul, my best friend at the time, was like. One time, somebody shot a bullet. It went one ear, came out the other. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. You're right. You're going to die. All, that should have been, you know, comforting because he's alive and telling me that a bullet went through his head and he's fine. Hmm. But I was, I would duck at the end of that ride. And it was like, what? Is there still part of you that kind of ducks? For a while. Now, I'm, I just You're think right. about it. Whenever I go through, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, there, I could go on about all the things, lies that were told to me, but that's a whole nother. Let's not derail too much. Well, speaking of lies, the villain's lying to Batman in the trial. Yes, of course. Uh, good, 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 good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. real good, good segue. smooth segue. Yep. Well, one of the coolest things here, I mean, is that that team up of villains. Like, I think they do such a good job of capturing little moments. Like, they're, you know, Poison Ivy talking about how she should have killed Harvey Dent when she had the chance from the episode yes, yeah, yeah. Poison. Or, like, the Mad Hatter being <laughs> held accountable for basically being a creep. Right, like, yes, he because he's he's like a, a lech, right? Is that the word? Yeah, a lecher. He's lech. A lech. Is that cr- it's a pervert, right? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, okay. I'll go with it. Uh, whatever. I'll look it up. A I'm lech, probably a using perv. the wrong way. No, I just um, might not know what the, the lech is a thing. I'll look it up. I think I used it wrong. Uh, uh, yeah, and everybody's got a good role too. Like they just find everyone's got a little thing to do. Like the ventriloquist is the 
Is he bailiff, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and there's funny, like they, they and it's, there's funny, like he because he can't, he's so meek, he can't quiet the court down, but of course his dummy can. That's a f- nice little fun part. Yeah, I mean, even like the Joker being kind of abusive to Harley is brought up. Like, yep. She gets pissed with him because uh, Van Dorn like smartly uses everything to her advantage. I mean, obviously right. in a very like succinct sure. fashion. Right. She she manages to uproot and derail every one of them, which right. is pretty ballsy for somebody surrounded by sociopaths dressed up as costumed characters. Psychopaths. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, definitely psychopaths. Yeah, it's uh, and. Uh, Killer Croc uh, has the hitter hit him with a rock, which is line. weird because this is after almost got him, where it was Batman pretending to be Croc who made the rock comment right. initially. <laughs> which is yeah, that's so, a, honestly you bringing that up. I didn't even think about it, but you're totally right. That's an odd. Is that an oversight? Did they forget, or is that a thing Croc said before? I don't know if it's a thing that he said before, but I, I'm willing to like believe it if we really nitpick it because it's like, well, Batman was doing a really good impression of what right, Rock and always of course, talks about. He always says hit him with a rock. That's his thing. He had particularly terrifying teeth in this episode. I don't remember <laughs> them like being that like horribly gummy. That probably just like an animator forgot like right? Like cause that happened like I remember the Ninja Turtles show all the time, all of a sudden like they would be a different color or something, or like you'd be like. It was like, like the design in this was just really. He yeah. looked like an X Files villain more than any other time. His teeth uh, I, were horrible. Somebody got tired and they had to go home, so they quickly finished Croc's teeth. They were animating for eighteen hours straight, probably. I love that Mad Hatter was a part of things. I yes, know I love affinity for this version of the Mad Hatter. I want a big like. I love Mad Hatter. I was Mad Hatter for Halloween, and not. Out this Mad Hatter, like I was cartoon Mad Hatter for Halloween. So like, yeah, I, I want him in a movie. I think I want him. Like I always want more of him. I don't know why that is. I really have never examined it so much because it's not like there's so many classic Mad Hatter stories. And I mean, there's some cool stuff, but like, I think he's fanciful and like his costume is fun, but also like. He he has something that could be grounded into. I mean, now it doesn't really seem to matter what the reality is in right. DC movies. But in the Nolan verse, I was like, yeah, like I could see a version of the Mad Hatter <laughs> where it's a guy who develops a version of mind control. And I would like. I think as I as we're talking about this, I'm realizing that maybe it's just my. And I know you have a, an affinity for uh, Mr. Ed Wynn, oh, who played the Mad Hatter in the Alice cartoon for Disney. So maybe that's sort of where this is coming from, is maybe just my affection for Edwin and that voice and that Mad Hatter, and I just want to see uh, him be a murdering pervert. Batman! (laughs) Batman! This is something. Mustard. That's that's my get into the Edwin voice is saying mustard. That's I actually because I just watched that clip. Have you seen where he's doing the voice? There's a, oh, this is amazing. There's what a clip it? online. They would actually act out the scenes, and he's like wearing the costumes. So he's at the table and he's doing the mustard, like he's doing all of that and acting it out. And it's crazy to watch it. And you're like, I wish that existed too. And we could just we could see the that's whole amazing. thing. It's amazing. I just posted like a week or two ago. Anyway, I could talk about Edwin all day. Well, Edwin obviously was the influence for the, the psychopath, the Mad Hatter. Right, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, they, they kind of use that ruse. Do they use that again in another Batman episode? I'm trying to remember where it's like... I thought there was an episode where like the Mad Hatter helped them take over the... Maybe I'm just conflating this with the one where Batman's trapped in Arkham by the Scarecrow or something. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, somebody remember. 
Somebody uh, I remember. Yeah, we get him. We get uh, we get a silent Riddler and Scarecrow, but it's nice to see. Nice them. to see them. Yeah, it would have been nice for them to have something. But again, twenty one. Riddler doesn't minutes. even take part in the fight. Like he's the Scarecrow right. has his like kind of scythe tricks and stuff, and he's a little scary. But <laughs> the Riddler just is there for the jury, right? And then just disappears, right? Well, you can't get you can't get everything you no. want, right? Two Face is the what do you call it? The the lawyer. Yeah. Uh, Janet Van Dorn is the defender. Right, because he's, I mean, Harvey's a DA. Yeah. So he was the prosecution. a DA. Yeah. Uh, I could tell how much I really know about court cases. Yeah. They've oh, been informed yeah. by Batman cartoons, and that's it. Yeah, well, you can see that I'm, I'm really schooling you on You're really helping me fill yeah. in the information that I don't you know. You ask a question, and I go, oh, I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, no, I don't know anything about court cases. They're, I mean, it's it's just fun the way that they put everybody kind of in place. And mm-hmm. uh, it is kind of strange that there's not that much action. Like, the this court case is just a montage of, her, you know, Janet Van Dorn showing up the villains. But it's not, <laughs> it doesn't really erupt into craziness. It's kind of more about the comedy of it or just seeing their personalities play off of each other. It's like, this is interesting enough. There's probably a version of it, and I don't know if they ever talked about it. I'm, they probably have to have a fight because it's a kid's show. Right. and like you need to, but There's probably a version of it where you, you they just win the court case and they because they're crazy, but they also like lost their like whole elaborate plan like so they would just let them go it's like we do end with like Joker swinging around beating Batman with a gavel but it's like it doesn't quite necessarily it didn't need to end like that really it was like that was one of those things where part one should have ended if it were a two-parter with that fight in the I think like that was like a I don't know what they were intending to do. I always remembered it as a kid as a like an electric chair. It is not. It's just a slab that like they right. would lethally inject somebody <laughs> right. on, which is pretty horrifying. It is horrifying. But then it was like, oh, the the climax to part two would be the Joker versus Batman. But it's like right. just a scene later. Right. But like I think that yeah, it's it's a kids show. Kids shows got end in a fight. Like I wonder what will be the first superhero movie to not have a fight. Will that ever happen? Probably no, can't happen, right? That's, that's the appeal of superhero stuff. It is, but once you've done so much of it, it is interesting if you could make like a, like a cheaper movie or you could make a, a cartoon like this that doesn't have... I mean, there's some great comics that don't end necessarily in fights. Well, that's almost like what I hated about the new Godzilla movie was most of the action took place in the background while people are just seeing it on TVs. And I was like, right. well, you know... Interesting, but uh, I'm not invested enough yeah. in these shallow characters. So you're saying I'm... I'm Suggesting something that no one will like. <laughs> I think there's probably a good way to do it. It just needs to be really well written. It's probably better for like a T. It would be better for like TV or something because obviously, like a movie, I feel like people need to feel like they got some get some bang for their buck, as as they like to say. Yeah, what's the episode where it's just? Uh, I guess there's dreams in not dreams in darkness. Uh, perchance to dream is kind of. Almost no action. Right, right, uh, so right. So it like right. starts with a Batmobile chase or something through, a, and then it goes to a warehouse, and it ends with like Batman versus himself in a dream. Right. On the clock tower. Right. But otherwise, it's just him like, "What the hell mm-hmm. is going on?" The entire time, which kind of sustains. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna probably like one day go in and pitch like a Batman movie, and I'm be like, "Here's the thing, <laughs> he doesn't fight." <laughs> Well, uh, be like, it's oh, been great. They hit the button you. and I slide down a like a trap door in the seat in the floor. And yeah, but right there's no the slide shorts. or anything. You just fall forty feet. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll uh, be fun, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah it's going to be really yeah. fun. Um, but but yeah, it's a, it it's there's not a lot of action. They kind of just tack the action on at the end. Um, the fight is great. The one that you brought up in it, the beginning, like, it is. I love it is that fun. it's lit by Harvey's lighter and it, the way that they're playing with shadows and colors. And Batman cool. has a fun line. Like, is it who says I went anywhere or something? Yeah, like, like we got to get him before he like yeah. gets away. Something should, that, like that would have been great in my notes to have the actual exact line. Like, but who it says is a I'm good, going anywhere? Or something it's like one that. of yeah, it's one of Batman's great retorts. It's a great Batman retort. He somehow gets Harley in a straight jacket in a second. Yes, I mean it's like a perfect Batman. Right. Thing. right. Janet Van Dorn decides to use her spare battering that she got from him mm-hmm. to knock out the light. By the way, we haven't talked about this yet. The biggest. The biggest stretch of the imagination is why they waited so long to pull off his mask. Yeah, right. All they needed to do was also mention it before that moment. Just be like, right. don't take off his mask. Like, not until yet. the trial's over or whatever. Right. We want to wait for it. <laughs> but it's yeah. not until that moment where it's like, and now what we've been waiting for. Right. It's like, wouldn't any one of you try to? Wouldn't Janet Van Dorn have done it in the cell when yeah. he's in a straitjacket? I would think so. Yeah, they just needed a line of dialogue to explain it. But again, I, I feel like that's something that I'm curious. I'll have to find out from Paul Dini himself whether or not it like that was something that was just cut out. Because yeah, it, it seems like something that's too obvious for them not to acknowledge. And it's like, we got to make cuts. They'll get it. Who cares? It's a kid's Right. Show. I mean, that is a thing I think would be like first to go in the when you're like, we got to get something out of here and be like, yeah, okay, whatever. You're not going to think about unmasking him. Because I guess you could also justify, like, most of them don't care. I understand, like, that's well, some of them, like, seem to care. But then, like, Joker does care sometimes and then other times doesn't care. As present. Obviously, there's a million Joker versions of Joker. And, but, like, sometimes Joker doesn't seem to care who he is. Yeah. And then sometimes that's all his whole plan is to figure out who he is. Yeah, I, I like the Joker version better where he doesn't care. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a cool... That's cooler to me. Yeah, because he likes... He he likes this, you know, never-ending, eternal, you know, like, dance. <laughs> yes, yes. He's just like, who cares? I like the entity of Batman. I don't want to ruin... It's like a kid who doesn't want to ruin the surprise. You don't yes. want to see how it's right, made. Right, right, I right. want to keep enjoying it. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, but, like, Riddler would care, I think. Riddler would want to... Yeah, enact... that's why they got rid of him. Yeah, psychological... <laughs> <He> <laughs> right. He actually marched out of the trial because they didn't unmask him soon enough. Yeah, he wanted it immediately. <laughs> Just fine. Let's find out, guys. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to start my own toy company. Right. <laughs> they would ruin him. It would ruin him. It would ruin him immediately if they just took his mask off. Yeah. Because you know who it is. Anyway. We did get, like, the inmates looking like, car- you know, like, uh, caricatures of the animators. I, I saw a Dini-looking guy. Oh, shouting. I didn't even notice that. It's- so there's a lot of guys... It seems like they do that a lot. It looked like, you know, look at these crazy people. We're the ones who make the show kind of thing. <laughs> We're the real loony ones. Uh, which is fun. Sure. That's fun. Um, yeah, I love all the, the prison stuff. I always, like, anytime, even in, like, the Arkham games and stuff, like, going and seeing, like, Calendar Man. Like, I just, there's something, it's just because I love Batman so much, but, like, something extra fun about like going through the Batman prisons and it's usually Arkham but but like I who lurks around the corner and it's I don't know I'm just saying it's fun it's super fun I mean I love that there's like a creep factor they really do fit in a lot of little things but the fact that you see that like the Arkham psychiatrist just walking Mm -hmm. around with little Mad Hatter cards right like they they even have like that moment it's like help us and he's just like staring blankly as he walks away I'm like this is Deanie did a good 
yeah. juggling act of getting little moments like that in there, which, you know, didn't have to be revisited. Yeah, and it's good, and it's like so many movies and stuff, like it's like over-explains things a lot now, and like you have to really like, well, how did this happen? And it's like, doesn't matter. Like there's so many movie, great movies and TV where it just like it throws you in the middle of something. And like this is an example of like something crazy went down before this episode started and like we don't need to see it no nope. <laughs> we're just suggesting what happened and you let's can imagine buy into the fun let's buy into the fun of it like and you go oh well, something went down now and these guys are all in charge oh, who cares <laughs> that's yeah. all we need to know that's all we care about we want to get to this fun part immediately <laughs> yeah it would be yeah so people need to forget some of these long origin things Unless mm. it's a good origin, because then that's great. Right, in that case, like, great, let's watch it. Yeah, yeah, let's watch it. Batman's if it's good, I like it. Again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Excited to not see Spider-Man's origin tonight. Ooh, me too. Yeah. I, I'm just excited to see a good version of Spider-Man. That's Although, nice. you know what? I like Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. I like Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man too. So, this is, you know, I think Sinister Six is maybe the only other villain team-up I would be super excited well, about. Yeah, you know, I think you can make a good case. Spider-Man's villains are, like, second to Batman's. Right? Yeah. Just, right, just coming in behind Batman's, because there's some really great villains that he's got. Yeah, I think those those are the two sets, look, those are the two sets of villains that I'm most yes. excited about. And they teased it in that movie, and then they aborted all that I stuff. I still haven't seen Amazing Spider-Man 2. I mean, you don't have to. I see heard it's it. a pile of garbage. I mean, you don't have to see it. But but uh, they like tease Sinister Six, and like you can see Doc Ock's, you know, tentacles, and you can see like a vulture, whatever. Um, so they definitely threw it in there, and they were trying to do something. They were going to make a movie. They, that movie was going to come out, which was crazy to me that they were doing. They were going to make they that were, movie before they were throwing whatever they had at the wall and seeing what would work, but. We'll see. I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that it'll still that it won't happen. I would be so excited if this iteration of Marvel decided to tackle those villains because I think that they would tackle the designs that I like the most, which are like kind of the original outfits or like versions of that. Yes, yeah, I feel like they go with classic versions for the most part. It's not. This is a whole other conversation, as I've said a million. Uh, but like, just imagine like. The end of Civil War tonight, which is not the case, but like at the end of Civil War, all of a sudden, revealed that Norman Osborn is behind it. We would f- freak out. I think I that's the thing my that would make me most excited. <laughs> I lose my mind. This version of Spider-Man might be what I'm most excited about for Marvel. Yeah, and then but like all like getting all that stuff because like even Doctor Doom we don't have now, but like oh my god, Doctor Doom's the greatest villain. One of the greatest films of all time. Yeah, I guess all of the characters that I care most about are tied up in rights for other companies. Like, with other companies like Spider-Man Universe and Fantastic Four, I have a real soft spot for, and then X-Men. But I I really want to see a Mole Man. I want to see a giant mole monster in this world. I have a Fantastic Four movie mapped out in my head, and it certainly starts with the Mole Man. It starts with a Mole Man attack. I think the most exciting Fantastic Four movie moment that was not in Fantastic Four is the end of The Incredibles. Oh, yeah, of course. Like that, I was like, okay, cool. Let's, yeah, I, yeah, this is the closest I'm ever going to get. Let's watch this. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, do you think villain-wise it's right? It's like Batman, Spider-Man, X-Men? Is that how you go? For me, X-Men is its own... I don't think of X-Men villains as rogues, you know, like as villains as much. They oh, feel like larger than life. Like They, they feel more like morality Nuanced. plays. Yeah, like Magneto is awesome, but he there are so many characters that... I guess like you have like Mr. Sinister and Apocalypse, but those feel like Superman villains to me more than like the smaller villains. And I guess I like. Hmm. I so like, who's third? Who's the third rogues gallery in your mind? Third best. 
putting you on the spot here. Man, that's tough. I'm asking the questions now. Fuck! <laughs> you really turned the tables. I did. You know, I, I don't know if I have a third rogues gallery. I guess there are the, the Superman animated villains yeah. stick with me, but I think they kind of made them more like Batman villains. Like, I like their version yeah. of the Parasite and the Toy Man. Mm-hmm. They're like a little more psychologically driven. Right. But yeah, I wouldn't you don't say come overall up with an answer. that Superman has my favorite rogues, but I, I think what they did in the animated series... Yeah. Unsurprisingly, I mean, me hosting this podcast that sure. I love this niche world. <laughs> sure, sure. The Bruce Tim Paul Dini uh, uh, DC Comics world. Sure. Radomsky verse. <laughs> uh, no, Eric Radomsky doesn't get enough credit, which is insane because he is co creator of this series. Right. And he and you don't hear his name. to the visual style a ton. Um, well, what else happened in this episode? <laughs> Well, the end of it, that, that Joker fight is so much. fast. It's happened, yeah, because they swing and he's just like kind of swinging wildly at him, and then Batman just punches him out. Yeah, he just like is a, one of those like fist at the camera moments. It's a bar, you know, like a, a hanging bar, and it's a really cool idea, but it's like it's so brief. It's one of those things that I recreated with my action figures as a kid. Oh, really? I mean, recreated right. as in like having right, them, like, right, right, standing right. on a wall. Um, the hanging Judge Joker. Judge Joker. Yeah. Yeah. That always stuck. Uh, also, him as the priest going back, that was pretty surprising that they got away with a religious reference. Yes, <laughs> yeah, right. At the time, I don't think, obviously, it didn't. I went, oh, he's a priest. I, knew, I vaguely knew what that was because we weren't that religious. But yeah, now that I think about it, I go, oh, that's a little racy, right? I mean, that's, that's what was cool about the show is that it was not completely they would sneak stuff that was sort of a dull I mean it felt like you were watching something that was a highbrow it didn't feel like you were being because yeah. like I love Ninja Turtles as a kid but if you watch that show now it's like it's a piece of crap I mean <laughs> I love the nostalgia of it and it's I like hard the characters, to watch most cartoons from when you were a kid have you ever watched Heathcliff no. in the last few years I don't think years? I was a big Heathcliff I loved fan. Heathcliff I think Heathcliff. you and Marissa Strickland are the two Heathcliff fans. That's true. We are both big Heathcliff fans. Heathheads. It is uh, the first episode, at least. So I watched the pilot of Heathcliff. Unwatchable. Couldn't believe. <laughs> how, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, stuff is confusing. I was shocked. And maybe it gets better. I love. Just the Dennis the Menace of Cats? Like, what yeah. is Heathcliff's deal? He was like a more energetic Garfield. He wanted to do more stuff. Right. I, although I'll say, what I liked about Heathcliff was not Heathcliff as much as it was the Cadillac Cats. Right, the, I think I heard the Cadillac cats Cadillac are cats. awesome. <laughs> they're like the coolest. I wish I hung out with them. Are they them. like 50s cats? Uh, so, nah, they're like more like kind of like like hepcat, like beatnik-y oh. kind of guys. Like uh, Riff Raff, he had like kind of a Dom DeLuise beret and scarf. <laughs> and he had like, which, the you know, the the sexy cat tall like, which is of course now creepy in retrospect. How like I mean, there were so many sexy animals. Yeah. But then, like, he, uh, Mungo was the big guy, uh, and Hector was the guy with roller sk- or no, no, uh, Hector was my favorite. He had the headband and the tie, <laughs> and they were just cool. And they had a car that transformed into another thing, which is another thing I liked as a kid, when, when you'd have, like, a transforming car into, like, a camper. They could, like, sleep in it, and I was like, this is cool. Why do they have, that's just, like, I guess piggybacking on Transformers. I guess so. More I don't on know. this on Cadillac Cat Chat. <laughs> Sorry, I keep derailing it. No. Oh, Cat, no, it does uh, not. There is nonsense. no wrong thing to talk about. Uh, but, yeah, anyway. But, uh, but, yeah, that's Batman was like, it really felt like you were watching something that, like, made you feel smart in a way, too. Not only did it have all the fun stuff you liked as a kid and fighting and stuff, but, like, it definitely gave you the impression that you were watching something a bit sophisticated. 
which was cool. Well, yeah, it was smart. I mean, like, you know, as simplified as the arguments are in this episode, they're putting forth a pretty, I mean, the episode is about whether or not Batman is a good thing in a show called Batman for kids. Right. And it's like, I guess, essentially tackling vigilante justice and like what happens when... Like, uh, citizens take arms. So I guess it's actually saying it's good. I think saying we should all take up arms. We should all be vigilantes. Well, we have to accept him by the end. <laughs> right, because that's we, the premise sun, of the, the show. The sun is coming up on Arkham in that last shot. It's mm-hmm. a rarity. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe there will be a new, brighter tomorrow for Gotham City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what that voice was. I, I mean, it sounds like a good voice. Hey, the Joker has a funny joke that there's been no opportunity to talk about it, but I think they say... He has a couple really... Uh, yeah, he does. And what? what which one? The I'm one I'm think. thinking of is when they're like, nobody panic! And then the lights go out and it's like, okay, like, maybe right. now we panic or right, something. Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah, Joker... Everyone is fun. Everyone's pretty funny, but yeah, Joker... And yeah, that's and, Deany, I think. He, yeah. he was able to balance that, like, you know... Fun action with comedy without undercutting the stakes. Right. Which is kind of hard. It is hard, but it's so... That's that's the thing that the Marvel movies do that the DC movies, in the last two, when I'm saying DC movies, I mean the last two movies, don't seem to get... Because, like, I don't want these all to be, like... I don't want all my superhero stuff and all this stuff to be, like, just, like, light and fun and it, there's no stakes to anything. But... You want a, a nice piece of fun, pulpy entertainment to be funny, to be scary, to be sad. To be, you want it to be all of those things. And like this show, this especially this episode, does such a good job of kind of putting all that stuff together. It asks interesting questions. There's like sort of stakes to it. But also like characters can be – murderers can be funny. <laughs> Horrible murderer characters can be funny. And like, yeah, it's it's certainly like a balancing act. But like – this show did it really well. This show was sad. This show, like, not this specific episode as much as, like, you know, Heart of Ice or something. You were like, sad for the Mad Hatter in this episode that he, he was, yeah, you know, he was shut exposed. down. <laughs> yeah, he was shut down when he said, I would kill her! Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. That he's a horrible, yeah. Anyway. But, yeah. Sorry, you had a real point that you were making. No, no. I mean, I was, I think I had made it. I was just doing that thing where I ramble past it. But I think that's <laughs> truly what, yeah, what makes the show great. And I wish that that was a part of the DC universe <laughs> at large now in any capacity. Uh-huh. That they, like, there was a spirit of fun anywhere involved in it. Yeah. Because uh, you're right. It doesn't have to be entirely campy for it to have funny moments. Yeah, I'm not against, like, if I look, if I... If I walked into Warner Brothers, and this would be a bad idea, but I would certainly pitch a full, like a wild day glow '60s style Batman movie. That's my dream. But I'm not against seeing something that's I, Frank Miller's Batman. I like. I like that. I like seeing stuff that's like a darker version of Batman, and that's fine too. But you can in within a darker universe, you can have jokes and you can have some moments of levity because life you really really we're just trying to show life on screen. Life is sad and it's funny and it's all of those things at once. So come on, guys. Give us make, some, make one of those movies. Make one of these movies, guys, please. Uh, yeah, well, fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, we're screwed. Let's go see Civil it's War. Over. Yeah, yeah, all right, great. Anything else? Uh, uh, no. Excelsior. <laughs> <laughs> what a way <laughs> At the to end, end of a Batman, Batman podcast. podcast. Today's guest, Andrea Romano. 
Andrea Romano is the voice director for Batman the Animated Series, not to mention pretty much every other cartoon you watched and loved in the 1990s. This is a brand new short segment where she discusses the vocal performances behind Batman's rogues. Well, let's dig into the villains a little bit because I think okay. they were one of the most spectacular parts of the show. They're kind of what define it beyond Kevin's Batman and the, the supporting cast. I feel like what made the show so great is that it had these great villains. Um, it might, in a weird way, like the Adam West Batman show, mm-hmm. it was kind of defined by its villains. Mm-hmm. But uh, how did you approach casting villains? Uh, did, were there people that you had in mind beforehand? I've always kept a list of people I want to work with, and it's based on, you know, who I admired when I was in college, who I admired when I was a kid watching cartoons, um, television shows that I was currently watching, a real wish list of actors I wanted to work with. Also, as I began to do um, more and more of this kind of work, agents would call me up and say, Andrea, I just signed so-and-so. They would love to be a part of your Batman series, specifically your Batman series. Uh, So I'd keep a list of those people. And Let's just let me come back to that question, specific sure. question, but don't and don't let me forget to come back because I do go off on a tangent. Um, a lot of celebrities would contact me saying they wanted to be a part of the series, and this was unusual. Many many years ago, um, back in the early Hanna Barbera days, there were maybe two, three, four celebrities who did voices. Uh, one was Tony Curtis, Stony Curtis on Flintstones, <laughs> and Anne Margrock, Anne Margaret, also on the Flintstones. Um, but back in the day, when I was first an agent, which I was before I was a casting director at Hanna Barbera, you couldn't get a celebrity to do voices. It was like absolutely not. That's just way beneath me. No, no commercial voiceover, no narration, no cartoons. That was beneath them. Now, of course, every Celebrity is like find me a cartoon, find me a feature film animated. It started to dominate. Huge. The whole world. Huge. So as actors began to sign with agents, voiceover agents, asking, please, I want to do cartoons, um, at the time still, there wasn't enormous money in it. So I started to think of why did these actors want to do this? And I would literally ask them when they would come in or ask the agent, why do they want to do it? And it's for several reasons. One is they were huge fans themselves of the Batman world, and they were like, wow, I really just want to play. Um, Others were, it's no makeup, no wardrobe, no memorizing. I can show up practically in my pajamas, unshaven, no makeup, not even street makeup. And as long as my voice is warmed up, I can do the role. I can Mm -hmm. do the work. And then the third reason is um, they're kids. Their kids. A lot of the work that they would do on camera, their kids couldn't watch. But this was something they, their kids could watch. So, you know, even back when I was doing Animaniacs, I hired Ben Stein. Ben Stein is known for um, Ferris Bueller. Class, class, that really. So, Did you do Good Idea, Bad Idea? Uh, no, that or? was uh, Tom Bodette. But he was... Um, Pip Pump Handle, I think his name oh, okay. was, and he was this guy that just droned on at a party and right. Yakko Wacko and Dot wanted to kill themselves because it was just like he wouldn't stop talking. Um, but when, uh, you know, and he was a, a presidential speech writer. This man was really a extremely, is still an extremely uh, intelligent human being. Huge credits to his name. His kid and his kid's friends had nothing to do with him until they found out he was on Animaniacs. Mm-hmm. And then they would run into the driveway and say, you did an Animaniacs episode. So that 
um, that kid, you know, fan base that suddenly, you know, his his own kid is proud of him because he's on an Animaniacs episode, which is a cool show. So that kid factor is what factored into a lot of celebrities asking to come and play, the most famous of whom is Mark Hamill, who contacted me through his agent, and they said, Mark is a huge comic book fan, especially Batman. He's got a huge collector of comic books and uh, memorabilia, and he would really like to be a part of the Batman show. And so I thought, oh, cool. This is a very cool thing. So I found a really nice role for him. It was a an executive of some sort, and you may even know I who this was, was better. I think he was in the, the Mr. Freeze episode, Heart of Ice. He, he plays the villain. Well, it's right. we don't know it's a villain, right? He's, he's like behind a desk executive, and right. then we find out that he's the bad guy at the end. Yeah. And he was very, very good and a pleasure to work with, and at the time, I'm, of course, still is extremely generous with the Star Wars stories and just completely entertained the cast. And it was lovely and a really, really nice guy to work with. So we finished the session and I thanked him and I said, it was really a pleasure to have you. And he pulled me to the side and he said, I, I don't know if my agent really expressed to you that I want to be a part of this series. I didn't want to just come in and do a guest role. Of course, I wouldn't turn that down. That was lovely. Thank you for inviting me to play. But I want to be a part of the series. And so... When the occasion arose that we needed to recast the Joker, because um, there was another cast of that uh, initially. Um, it was originally Tim Curry. It was. And I'll tell you a story about that in one second. Oh, um, And uh, so we had recorded several episodes already with Tim Curry as the Joker. And they were already well deep into animation for it. So I, ni- I needed to not only find a really good actor to play the Joker, but someone who could do ADR, meaning match the lip sync that Tim Curry had created, as well as coming up with their own character and their own voice, which oh, is fair. At least like five or six episodes? Right? Yeah, at least. Several. Several. Three at least. And so um, Mark was Awesome at it. Really, really good. Mark is a wonderful joker, and I'm so he is glad. The joker, he I is. Imagine. He is. It's like, you know, any project I get that has either the Joker or Batman in it, when I'm prepping it, when I'm doing the homework that I mentioned to you before, it's Mark Hamill's voice I hear as the Joker. It's Kevin Conroy's voice I hear as Batman. It just is. I, I've used them for so many years on so many projects that that's the voice I hear. Mm-hmm. Mark is a stunning joker. Let's go back many, many years to when we, we had cast Tim Curry. And I loved Tim. I loved everything he did. I had absolutely no problem. Early on in the process, another producer was brought in on the show. The show was a master, a a, a monster to produce. It was huge, huge, huge. It needed more hands on. And so they brought in another producer. And that producer did not care for Tim Curry's performance. And so I brought Tim back a couple more times just to work with him and see if I could find something that this producer liked because I did not want to recast Tim Curry. I had no problem with Tim's performance. And I could never convince that producer that Tim was the guy to go with. So I had to recast him. And, you know, I had the the opportunity to say that I'm not going to do the series. I could have gotten real huffy and said, I'm not going to do it then. But I, I didn't want to do that. And I had a very long conversation with Tim about it. And it broke my heart. And I said, I am so sorry. But I just, we, I, we can't, it's not working out for a, a major person on the production. And I'm, I'm really sorry. Bruce, Tim, and I are probably the only two people who have an unmixed episode. That means it's not got sound effects, it's not got music or anything, with Tim Curry as the Joker. I believe I saw it a was clip of it once at the Egyptian That's I right. think, uh, for a retrospective of right. his work. Right. It was, it was... He got that from me because I was the only one that had it. He had to borrow it from me. Well, thank you. Yes. I, I thank you from the past. 
Excellent. My pleasure. <laughs> it My was pleasure. incredible to watch. It was very strange because different. I grew up on Mark Hamill. Of course. And, exactly. You get that in your head. You, and you it's think, good. It's just different. That's right. That's right. But I'm delighted that Mark Hamill did it. I think he's a stunning joker. I think he did a beautiful job. And, um, and as you said, it's now an iconic joker. So, so we were talking about villains, villains and so casting, casting villains. villains. Yes. So that was my casting Mark Hamill story. Um, the thing is, with all voiceover casting, is number one, they have to be really good actors, mm-hmm. really good actors. Villains require even better acting, if you will. Uh, you know, they all require really good acting, but villains require a, something a little extra. What Bec- makes a good villain for you? Um, there's something, a dark side, something where you go, this guy can be very pleasant and have all of this, but we know that even during that pleasantness, there's something underneath there. There's something that's lurking that's going to come out. And it may be part of their voice quality. It may be part of a texture to their voice. It may strictly be in their acting where their subtext, what the actor is thinking is, I may be saying, come in, can I offer you some tea? But what I'm thinking is, I'm going to kill you before you leave. That's what I loved about Richard Mall as Two-Face. Wasn't he great? It's incredible. I know. I love him so much. And he was so good. I, you know, any of those roles that had those two aspects, whether it was a ventriloquist and Scarface. Also amazing. Truly, George Zanza, remarkable. Um, I actually managed to get Richard Mull to come out of retirement to work on something for me a couple of years ago, and that was really cool. And I hadn't seen him in so long. And, you know, he was such a giant. I mean, truly, he's an enormous man. And I'm little. And so it was always that kind of, like, he'd have to fold himself in half to give me a <laughs> hug. And, and it was relatively, you know, he didn't do a lot of voiceover work. And so this was relatively novel for him. But his instincts were so good, and the the two different aspects of that character were so subtle and so believable, believable, both of them. And, you know, we meet him in the very first episode with one line, and yet it's it's absolutely clear that he's who he is. And, what, right, and this what, is on Leather Wings that we're talking about. Exactly right, the very first episode. And then when he becomes Harvey Dent, because of the acting that he did to set this up— Harvey Dent does not, when he becomes Two-Face, it does not surprise us that that guy is the same guy, that that mm-hmm. guy. And, and, you know, always you want the actor, the same actor to play those two voices. You don't want to have to recast the bad guy. You want it to come from the same organic place from the same actor. And so he was stunning. I loved his work on that. Beautiful, beautiful work, Richard Mall. Um, George Zunza, I had watched Deer Hunter not long before that. And, you know, his performance in that blew me away. Such subtle, beautiful acting from George Zunza on that. And that was just me taking a chance. And many, many times in my career, I've just taken a chance and said, this guy doesn't have experience, but I am convinced he's the guy. Please, let's try it. And, and you know, the producers are, Andrea, it's, it's on you. And I... I I, the night before the, that actor is coming in, I don't sleep. I get completely nervous. Having been an actor myself, I get the butterflies. I get the sweat on the palms of my hands. I, I, I worry, worry, worry. And until they get in and do that table read, that, that's when I can finally relax and go, oh, thank God. I was right. That's the right guy for the role. And so... Um, well, George Zunzo, he, he was amazing. I mean, he played both the comedy and like that kind of like... There's a sadness and a scary pathos. Yeah, there's truly, so much. Truly. That's a great character, too. I love that character. It's incredible. Yeah. Anytime you have those kind of ventriloquist dummies or, you know, um, uh, a lot of people call those puppets or they don't like to use the word dummy. But um, whenever you have those kinds of characters, I was always terrified of them. There's They're, a creepiness to There them. is. There is. And so um, he – but but there's a – you're right. There's a pathos. There's a, there's a, a – 
a sorrow that exists in that well, character. Well, you believe that he truly can't control this. Right. Uh, one of my favorite later episodes was, uh, it was one called Double Talk, where they revisited that character. Mm. And uh, we kind of saw like his story wrapped up in a bow, but uh, he was brought into it by his goons. They kind of tricked him into thinking the ventriloquist, you know, was back or Scarface was back. A good story. Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> in, you know who else was great fun was people like Roddy McDowell. Now, how lucky am I that I got to work with, for many different series, Pinky and the Brain, he was a villain on that too, and and for uh, Batman, um, the Mad Hatter, Roddy McDowell. Stunning. He was amazing. I mean, my goodness, just a wonderful actor, so lucky uh, that he said yes. You got all the McDowells in the DC. <laughs> yes, Malcolm. As Metallo. Different, different spelling. But yes, wonderful, isn't he? Um, Michael York came into play Count Vertigo, Vertigo yeah. exactly, um, and and just a, a tremendous number of and again I think these guys uh, they were drawn to the project not just because of the Batman you know history but once the series hit the air and they were aware of how successful it was and what quality it was that it wasn't. You know, I mean, no ill will to uh, the period of time that this happened and that we were making these shows was a, a, a really golden age of animation where a lot of cartoons were being made. And a lot of cartoons were being made very cheaply. And there was a lot of, forgive me, crap out there. Yeah. And here was a shining star of a cartoon. This animated series was quality from start to finish. And so when I would call up to an agent and say... Do you think Roddy McDowell? And they would come back and said he loves the show. He'd be happy to come play. So it helped that we had some in the can and we had some um, – we could actually send some episodes. This is in the time of VHS. We were sending video cassettes to actors saying, take a look at this episode. Come see if you want to play if they hadn't seen it already themselves. And so <clears> – <throat> We were lucky to get some beautiful uh, actors to come in, some wonderful women. Adrian Barbeau, I loved working with Adrian as Catwoman. Well, and for me, growing up on it, uh, I would discover different actors' work because of the show. Me. So I learned to love Ron Perlman and Clancy <sighs> Brown. And Another people... great villain, yes. Clayface. And, and Amazing. Truly. And, and I wasn't crazy about the character per se, but once Ron started acting it, and we found out that this character, too, was an actor, mm-hmm. right, that added something, I think, to the performer to be able to sort of hone in on that. And then also Ron was so able to do the human side and then that horrible voice that came out when he became this creature that he couldn't control. And there'd be times when the character would be speaking and he would literally melt because whatever was acting upon him and he couldn't maintain the the form anymore. And Ron was really good at being able to do that kind of trick. Distort his voice. That trickery with the voice. It's true. Man, Andrea is great. If you like that taste of her, and why wouldn't you, you can listen to her entire interview in episode four of this very podcast in which she discusses the pilot episode on leather wings and so much more. Again, this segment that you just heard is not part of that interview, so it'll all be brand new. It's just one of the best interviews on this podcast and worth your time, and I can't speak highly enough about Andrea Romano. Speak highly enough? Okay, let's move on to today's guest. Dan Reba. Dan directed this episode of Batman the Animated Series as well as many other episodes of the show and many episodes in the DC Animated Universe at large. Instead of diving into a single episode like his last appearance on the show, I asked him to share a behind-the-scenes fact or memory 
about every other BTAS episode he directed, including Trial, in a format that I 100% ripped off from one of my favorite podcasts, Matt Gorley's I Was There Too. So, without further ado, here are a bunch of facts about a bunch of great Batman episodes with the great director, Dan Reba. Well, I want to do a a quick wrap-up our Batman the Animated Series part of the conversation. Sure. uh, With uh, This is a a segment that I'm stealing 100% from Matt Gourley of another podcast. I was there, too, where I'm going to go through the episodes that you directed. And if you remember something, if something pops up. Sure. uh, So, Mask of the Phantasm. You were a sequence director on that as well as... Yes. I mean, you you worked on that. Mm -hmm. And and it's been a long time, and I, I, I mostly... I uh, did, uh, let's see, um, the Chucky Saul's murder scene was uh, Doug Murphy boarded that, but I supervised. There is a scene with Batman being chased by helicopters on a girder in the in the, the construction site. Is that where uh, he like rigs up the cape to a yeah, yeah, sawhorse? I believe so. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and and then uh, and then also I, I but I boarded a sequence. Let's see. Uh, various little sequences and uh, there was one bit that I kind of okay this is kind of neat um, where Batman is is spying on um, on um, Andrea Beaumont and uh, oh my gosh what's his name the, the politician jerk um, oh yeah just the uh, wienery guy that wienery looks guy. like yes, the Joker yes, but yes, isn't yes, the Joker yes. and and so she's having dinner with him I boarded that sequence and worked out with Bruce like how to how to stage the um the the Batman reading the lips and we kind of went through 2001 because there's a scene where Hal sees uh, the, the the guys talking about dismantling him and it's like they shut off the sound and they go in their pod and there's like oh they turn the pod around so they think that Hal can't hear them but the computer is actually reading their lips and and you see the close up of their mouths and stuff so we did kind of aped that shot of That's Batman so cool. sparing, you know. And um, is it reflected in the binoculars? Is it's that reflected in the binoculars, and that's how we did that. And uh, and what's neat because I had a conversation with Gary Lockwood, and he actually said he came up with that and brought brought that to two thousand and one. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, this is wild. We ripped you off. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, and originally that was going to be trial. Uh, Paul had the idea for the villain team up and all that stuff in, in Arkham Asylum. And uh, it was great. And we're like, yeah, let's, that, that sounds like a movie. And Alan's like, well, I kind of had this idea. And we all went, okay, that's a good one too. <laughs> yeah, let's transition into trial because you okay. directed that one as well. That's right, such right. a fun one. Yes. Uh, what, what, what do you remember of that? What were any... Uh, well, because of, of the fact that it had, it, I had always wanted to do that episode, and I always thought of that. It was an idea that I had that I was going to present, and Paul had already done it. So I'm like, oh, great. You beat <laughs> me to it. So I always felt ownership on that because I was like, it was one of the things I always wanted to do anyway. Um, I don't know what it is about team-ups that's so cool, but it always is. It's so It was so fun just to see yes. all of the villains together. Oh, yeah. And, and I love the idea of, of a prosecutor that comes in that, uh, you know, that, that is not sympathetic to Batman, that ends up having to be saved by Batman. It was really, that was really fun. Um, uh, there was, it was a challenging show. It was a really challenging show. It's a lot to cram into one episode. It was a lot to cram into one episode. And um, I remember there being some, some hiccups with the animation, too. There, were, there was a lot of stuff that wasn't quite all there. Um, 
and and so I, I know it was kind of neat that we did stylized uh, the prison stuff that there you know the, the crowds and silo and stuff like that yeah. kind of try to try to get that across too and make it moody but it, it, I was I remember struggles <laughs> <laughs> well cool uh, Zatanna Zatanna uh, that's the first one with my credit on it uh, I uh, was working mainly on trying to make the flying wing section at the end kind of makes some kind of sense because it was kind of ridiculous how Batman's on top of the wing. Right, like just fighting, fighting out as and, it's flying. And it, it, I just kind of gave up because we just <laughs> we needed to get out. Um, and But I do like the idea. Uh, Michael York played the, um, the villain and, and we was, he was based very clearly on, on, on Orson Welles. Um, I think it's funny why they didn't get Morris LaMarche but come on, it's... Michael York for crying out loud, he's great. He, so he was he was phenomenal. And Maurice did get to play one of the Joker's goons. Yes, yes, <laughs> uh, that's true. Um, so that was uh, that was fun. Uh, and and uh, what was it? Julie Brown played Satana. Gosh, it's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, I'm not sure off the top of my head. But I didn't actually go to that record because it was before I was directing. It was sort of like I came, I played catch up. So okay, you know. But I also like the backstory idea of Batman. You know, learning to be an escape artist is really fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, blind as a bat. That's my first full show, and that was a really difficult one because I was doing layouts as well. So that was the first time I got completely immersed in, in cleaning up layouts. Um. Oh, and by the way, while I was doing this and while I was, you know, being groomed uh, as as a director, uh, Bruce let me in the editing session. So I was editing shows when they would come in and it gave me a lot of autonomy of like, here, you kind of go sit with the editor. And this is back when we were editing on film. <laughs> so if you cut stuff, it was a pain to kind of go back and, yeah. you know. Uh, it's a but, lot of trust. But I did the, yeah. And, and I, t- I did the first pass edit on, on uh, Robin's Reckoning. And that was... That was That's awesome. So a I feel great a episode. Bit, so I, even though I have nothing to do with the, the visual or any of that, I still feel a little bit of ownership of that show because I got to edit some of it. Yeah. You know? So that was kind of neat. That's so cool. So uh, so then okay, uh, we're we're at uh, blind, blind as a bat. bat. Uh, the layouts were very hard to go through. Uh, oh my gosh! The most important thing. I remember being really frustrated when the script came in because uh, they turned. Bruce Wayne into Tony Stark. And he's not an arms dealer. And I thought, wow, he hates weapons. How can this possibly happen? What, what are you, what, what's going on? Yeah. And, uh, and, and originally what had happened was that it was going to be about um, a, a police helicopter. It was going to be Blue Thunder, basically. And the L.A. riots had happened, and we kind of had to tuck it down and not make it like police gotcha thing. so it became a military vehicle but then it was like well but still it's like it's weird of bruce wayne selling arms he's, yeah that's like what he's fundamentally against <laughs> I, that's so i i mentioned that concern to alan and he's like that's a good point so they put some lines about his misgivings about this and then it ends up being you know and then he goes blind and you figure well it's metaphorical then he was blinded for a moment to settle the weapons and, yeah. and said it ends up it ends up giving the show a little more meaning than than had originally intended that's cool um so i was i was kind of happy about that because I, I i voiced a concern and they responded and i uh, that was 
And I felt, okay, I'm in. I'm in. Um, and also, you know, plus I like Daredevil. So the idea of <laughs> Batman using a radar vehicle. He basically you know, was a Daredevil like, for an episode. And I also, liking effects and stuff, I, I helped come up with the, the, the visualization. Like that red the, vision. The red vision or... thing and, and, and how the silhouettes would work. And we kind of worked that yeah, out. Yeah, it looked really cool. So that was, that was kind of, that was fun. So. Cool. Uh, see No Evil. See No Evil. Okay, that was originally going to be a different show, and it was actually farmed out uh, to to Japan for boarding, and that crew never got got together. It was a different episode written by uh, somebody else, and it was a different completely like a spoiled heiress that's you know whatever and they just they it was the first script that we just actually trashed and just no it's it's let's not do this you know yeah and so quickly came up with an invisible man show <laughs> and again the effects thing i loved uh, the thunder agents with the uh, no man and we kind of figured out the the way that the the way that the 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 effect would work with similar to that um and I, I, I remember doing a you know, model somehow on how that works. Um, so that was a fun thing to work out effects-wise. Um, yeah, I have a cell from that, too. Because, uh, yeah, I love, yeah, I love that one. such a fun one. It's also pretty dark. It's very dark. I mean, it's, it's very like very, very, a very human story. Well, and it's creepy. Because it's like you got a father that's like kind of hovering over the daughter. You don't know necessarily, you know. I mean, I, we didn't want to imply anything. You know, obviously, we right. were, and that was the network's concern. So I want to make sure that yes, he's a criminal, but he doesn't really have evil intent on the daughter. It's yeah. not like that. Um, but uh, it was, uh, and uh, yeah, we, boy, it was it was a fun one. And and the the car chase in the in the driveway at drive in at the end was really fun. And and uh, yeah, it was it was a cool. That was yeah one of the most grounded villains. That and like uh, was it. I forget Leitner, the guy yes, who stalks yes. Lois Lane and Superman. Right, Both of those right. guys felt like legitimate creeps it, from the real world exactly. in a superhero it, it, cartoon. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's kind of yeah. Uh, Fire from Olympus. Fire from Olympus. Uh, I I love that show. So Maxi Zeus was he created for the animated series, was, or did he, he exist was, beforehand? He was created for us, I believe. I think no, 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 no. He was he was in the comics. Huh. I believe he was in the comics. I do. I vaguely remember seeing seeing a Jim Aparo version or something. I'm almost positive. But what happens is that um, we really kind of wanted to do King Tut, but King Tut was owned by Fox. It's, oh it's yeah. part of the TV show and not DC didn't own King Tut, and so we were like, ah, wait, they've got, and we we're like, oh, their version of King Tut was Maxi Zeus. So let's let's do that. Yeah. Um, what's neat about that is that usually our stories have an origin of a, of a villain. They, they kind of go through this tragic, uh, oh, what happened to this guy that makes him, you know, feel wronged, whatever. Maxi Zeus was crazy from the outset, from the beginning of the show. And so now you're seeing it from the standpoint of the family and friends or people who work for him having to confront and deal with the crazy person. And that was an interesting, unique way of, of, of dealing with yeah. that. So I, I kind of like that. Plus, I like it too. Plus, we, we, we actually he blew up a blimp in the city, and I believe we killed people on that off screen. But And I felt bad about that because we were trying to edit. I don't know. I think, we, I think that guy's dead. <laughs> I don't think there's any way he could have survived that. Oops. <laughs> and it was Maxi Zeus out of all characters yeah, who yeah, got away yeah, with it in yeah. the show. Uh, so we talked a little bit about Riddler's uh, reform, but anything um, else that... Uh, you were saying off mic that uh, 
you, Bruce was always very particular about Riddler episodes just because they were so difficult to pull off. They were very difficult to, to get the, the whole concept of, of uh, the guy with the riddles that nobody could solve. Riddle-themed crimes, it, 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 it could always turn into something stupid. And he really kind of wanted to make sure that they were smart. And, and so they were very difficult. They were very difficult to pull off. So, um, so he really kind of wanted to keep it to, you know, make sure we have a really strong idea. Because, I mean, as cool as, as what is reality, it doesn't really feel like a Riddler show to me. It doesn't really feel like there's any reason for that to be a Riddler show. And then there's an episode like the Cape and Cow Conspiracy that feels like it should have been. Right, absolutely. Show. There was a guy like you're Wormwood like, was yeah, the villain. and you're like, wow, that, but that was based on a comic, so we kind of like had to base it on, you know, but it's like that really should have reworked that plot into a Riddler show. I think that yeah. would have made it work better. Yeah, it feels like such a Riddler episode. Yeah, yeah. Just setting traps to get Batman's cowl. Yeah, so... And reveal. But, <laughs> oh, well, you know, but again, we're tied to the storyline, and that was like, it, you know, eh, you know, but that was... Uh, so, yes, the... Uh, and, and I think my my one beef with Riddler's reform uh, is that um, the the title was misspelled, and we corrected it in the subsequent airings. But because everybody has a sort of archival mentality that everybody wants to see the first version, they don't realize that in animation we make corrections as things progress and because sometimes you have to hit air because you're syndicating the show so you you you're like okay but we'll put the f- corrections in on the second airing yeah and you know when people are putting the dvds and the videos together they're like oh no we get to get the first version because that's and it's like no no you don't understand we we corrected the show that was a legitimate mistake there, what's a legitimate how is it spelled there's an apostrophe missing oh so all the riddlers are reforming <laughs> Every Riddler in Gotham Every, City. All of them. They're all reforming. And and I didn't... I, I don't this, but it aired that way. We're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and and they corrected it. But it didn't make... And so now... I And I'm pretty sure that, that they keep putting the wrong one on the videos. <laughs> I, hopefully not. I know on one of the video sets it is, but I don't know about the DVDs. I, I, hopefully they're corrected on the DVDs. Yeah. I, I don't remember. And I, and I kind of look away every time it's on because it, it, it wins <laughs> if that's the big problem though that the yeah, rest of the episode it's, it's is great okay. it's okay yeah yeah no, uh, it's fun baby doll we talked a little bit baby about doll. already but baby doll is classic and I loved uh, I love the design uh, I love the whole idea of, of of that sort of sitcom child that that goes bad it was it was it was and it was also this you know interesting juxtaposition of you know this child villain and it was very weird um and, and a lot of fun to work on. The one thing uh, that is sort of outside of the show that, that was a problem that I felt, not problem, but um, is that Cats Don't Dance had a beautiful feature film, wonderful animation, had a villain that was based on Shirley Temple and looks exactly like Baby Doll. Completely. Two separate things, and and we had no contact. We had no idea they sure. were doing that, and they had no idea we were doing this. The problem is that TV animation gets stuff done a lot faster. So we got this out, and they're still like two years into this production of this movie, and they're like, "Oh man, you're you're gonna everyone's gonna think we're ripping off Baby Doll," 
and they weren't. I, I talked to one of the animators, and he was like, he, they're just like, oh my gosh. It just what? took longer. It just took, <laughs> I said, take, you know, but if you look, they're, they're characters, they're Darla Dimple, like, exactly. She looks, I mean, really, It's just really a parallel close. thinking. Just parallel thinking, yeah. you know, and the idea, of, let's do a cartoonier design than we usually do, because it fits the whole, it's just coincidence. Uh, Chen Yi, uh, who did that caricature of me that I showed you, uh, who went on to design Mulan, he did the turns and a lot of the poses, and he's just wonderful animator that uh, did beautiful work. Um, I mean, Bruce did the design, the main design, but he did the just all these wonderful poses, and oh, he's brilliant. So yeah, I I love that show. It's such a good one. Oh, and the ending, the mirrors at the ending was very so sad, poignant, very poignant, very yeah. sad. Oh, her so, saying I didn't mean to in uh, her adult voice is one of the most tragic uh, moments in the whole DC animated universe. It's up there with Batman sitting with, I forget, the care, the Royal Flush Gang of the... Yeah. The, I don't know. that that Both of those well, like make me tear up. What's funny is that there's a, there's a sequence at the end uh, that we cut where Batman is walking out with her. It was like a long shot or something, and we cut it because it just it felt right. The way we cut it, the edit it, you know. But there was another little sequence of them walking out with with her, and they sold those cells in, in the in huh. the Warner stores. And uh, somebody, uh, Rudy Kobe, I think, had it, and he was like, "Well, so I watched the show, and it's not in there." I'm like, "Well, that was the scene we cut." It's like, wow, that's wild! That's wild! That was the scene that they cut. <laughs> that's cool. So, uh, lock up, lock up. We talked a little bit about already. Yeah, um, you know, that's our that's our uh, our. Um, anti-batman our punisher our you know it's a it's it's kind of like dirty harry but magnum force kind of thing you know and and uh the idea of the mask was sort of the reverse of batman where batman's face is covered up and and his eyes are exposed his, his mouth is exposed we just want to just like do the do the eyes and and uh, poking through and it kind of well so he's like a uh diabolic you know ever seen that uh, that uh, european comic yeah. in the movie that you know that's kind of like that kind of look too um, yeah, this is like, like S and M kind of lock, you know. But it's mostly, you know, we didn't want to make it not sexualize him, but it's this idea of like this tough, the chains and all that stuff, just the tough, you know. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> and time out of joint. Time out of joint was a this lot of fun. I came up with the effects for this super speed stuff. Right. This was um, the second clock king episode. Yeah, second clock king episode. Um, uh, there are some fun things in there. Dexter Smith made the the auctioneer look like Terry Thomas, and I think the voice kind of matched. So, bingo! I thought it was delightful. <laughs> uh, and um, the one thing is the the effects were pain, a huge pain. Why I timed it was that I I, I was actually like trying to figure out the the speed of the fans, you know, and. And and the idea of what what his world would look like when he's in this uh, when he's in the super speed world. I kind of originally wanted to feel like the Doppler, where where it's blue when it's kind of see if we could make it red at some points and blue and we couldn't quite pull that off. So we just kind of went for this muted blue color when the light's kind of slower. Yeah, it's such a cool, I mean, effect. And, and we were actually encouraged to use our digital effects division at that was in the same building with us in Sherman Oaks. And they were like, uh, really wanted to shepherd this, this studio that do effects. And they really had nothing to do. So these guys would sit around and kind of like, well, what do we know? So they were, we were told, no, 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 get, have, them, have them do the effects. And so we'd sit in there and, and kind, of, kind of plan out what, kind of what the effects are supposed to look like. 
and digitally they they did all the smears of all the headlights and stuff like that that's kind of came from from our our digital division that went on to work on feature stuff oh cool so that was that was kind of neat they did that and i think the rain in the Riddler's Reform. I think they did that digitally. It's very some pretty bad rain. signals as well. They did some of the digitally did bad signals, um, but it ends up what what ended up happening. We thought it'd be cost cutting, but it ended up like they're they were so expensive that the bills would just like the cost of these episodes would go up tremendously because we were oh I thought it was free. It's like no, it's not free. These guys are so like, you're still getting charged for forced to use them? for a horse to use. I'm like wait a second, come on, <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, I think we covered them all. Yeah, that's, uh, all, that's it. In the end, yeah. Okay. Were there any episodes that you you remember that never saw the light of day? Uh, scripts that came through that almost made it, or um, no, no. Actually, if I recall, the only one that uh, most stuff didn't get to script at that point. There was only that one that the uh, the 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 no evil. And the funny thing was that that was one of my last shows. But but what ended up happening was because it was numbered as fifteen because it was a fifteenth script um, that was being replaced. It had the same number as the original script, so that's why even though it's one of our last shows, it ends up like coming on the first DVD set. Yeah, very early. It's really early, and yet it's like way late. Interesting. I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. It's because it was a production number thing rather than the actual. You know the episode when it came out. Gotcha. So that was kind of fun. Well, cool. Thank you so much for chatting no about no this. A pleasure. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to say about the animated series? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, we knew at the time. You know, I excuse me, I knew at the time when people ask, "Hey, did you think it's gonna you know last?" Or what do you think? And I, yeah, there's an interview with me, and so you know, in uh, uh, boy, what what is it? Is it? One of some one of the magazines that did, and I called it. I said, you know, it's really neat to know that you're part of something that's going to last forever, and it still is, you know, and it's still it's still out there. It's, people still remember it fondly. And oh yeah. So you know, I mean, I had those cartoons when I was a kid. You know, the the, the Johnny Quests and the Hercules, and <laughs> you know, it's like the, all of that, the Speed Racers, and all this stuff that sort of stayed with me forever, and. um Oh, and the Superman cartoons when I eventually saw them. Fleischer? Yeah, the Fleischers. Oh, they're so good. Yes. Um, those changed my life. That was... Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's such a an honor to actually be a part of that. Um, to have this, you know, be part of my legacy is... is, is uh, I'm really blessed. It's really fun. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Next my time, pleasure. the new Batman Adventures. <laughs> okay. Guys, we did it. You and me and your car or your laundry or whatever other thing you're doing while you're listening to a podcast, because let's be honest, who just sits and listens to one? It's over. That's it. If you liked what you heard, please rate, subscribe, and leave a comment on iTunes. It helps out a lot. You can donate to the podcast at patreon.com slash podcast, where you'll find some neat rewards related to the show. You can find updates about the show and more on Twitter at BTASpodcast and at HeyJustin, or just go to BTASpodcast.com or email me at BTASpodcast at gmail.com. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast. 
Thanks to my guests, Mike Carlson, Andrea Romano, and Dan Reba. Special thanks to This American Life producer, Tori Malatia. You know, even if we disagree about Kevin Conroy bot on my show, I say he's a nice break from the dour Batman stuff, but Tony retorted, And I say he's a drug the city keeps taking to avoid facing reality. We'll agree to disagree, Tony. I love you even if you don't love the comedy portions of this show. Catch you guys in another two weeks on Batman, the animated podcast.